Hello and welcome to Exit the Stage Door. I am your host, Aaron Teachman. This is a podcast, a bi-weekly podcast, where I sit down and have a conversation with anybody who has anything to do with theater in the Washington, D.C. metro area and Baltimore. Congratulations. This is The Ground Floor. This is Episode 1. It's Danielle Molman. She is a DC playwright. You may know her as the author of Nexus or Dust. Uh, you may just know her as an awesome person, which she is. She was so generous with her time and sitting down with me. It was absolutely fantastic. You can get in touch with her and find out everything that she's doing at daniellemolman.com. Follow her Tumblr at daniellemolman.tumblr.com. You can follow along all of the books that she is reading and she reviews them, which is fantastic because she reads a lot. That's where you can find all of her social media. She's on Twitter. She's on Instagram. She's very connected. Definitely give her a follow. And as it happens, as her first guest, she can you can actually see a production of her work. Three, two, one. And by a stroke of really good planning, uh, that's not true, by a stroke of really good luck, you can actually catch some of Danielle Molman's work performed live in front of your very face very soon. She is one of the contributors to the Tiny House Place, which is a Pinky Square Productions uh, production at the Boneyard Studios in a bunch of tiny houses. It's a very exciting project. Please check out the information for that at pinkysquare-productions.com. Click on the Upcoming Productions tab and find out all about it. They open on September 27th and run through October 12th. Well, I'm not going to waste any more of your time. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you come back, and I hope you enjoy this conversation that I had with the wonderful Danielle Molman. I'm trying to turn this so I could also look at you while I'm talking to you because that would be amazing. As you could see, like, this is how we sit and eat dinner. Clearly, we don't really look at each other. That's always the question when you're eating for two, isn't it? Like, and especially with you're with other people. Do I want to sit next to them or across from them? There's never, there's, uh, most people offer the next to them, obviously. That's, the, the proximity feels more important than the Than the, like, the neck pain. <laughs> <laughs> okay, oh, most important thing. I need my rundown. One second. momentarily nope it's good we're good we're good i can see i can see the waveform i mean we're definitely recording (laughs) we definitely are going to have something at the end of this (laughs) we used to say all the time when we were in lighting and we still say it what's the worst that could happen we have to do it again yes that's actually the worst that could happen we have to do it again is the worst thing that could happen in this case, I don't think it's the worst thing that could happen. I would happily do it again. There we go. Don't do that. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. We started recording. Obviously, I started recording as soon as you could hear yourself. So. Should I introduce myself? I think now's a pretty good time for it. We're probably five minutes in, so. Oh, oh, this is all staying? You're not cutting any of that? I, we'll see. My goal, you know, Nerdist, Chris Hardwick is my hero, and he just starts recording. People know, people know it's going to happen, and then they just, it feels more natural to ease into it. The conversation I should have done my research, started. right? <laughs> Hi, my name is Danielle Molman, and this is not NPR. <laughs> all right. And this is Aaron Teachman, actually. I realize that I haven't introduced myself. This is episode one, and I'm already screwing it up. Uh, yeah, this is, I want to call it Exit the Stage Door. That's, that's what we're going with. I'm sure something more organic will come up as, as I talk to more people. Uh-huh. And, uh, but you are the first. And we're here to talk about, well, it, that, and, and this is the crux of the show, the show that I, want to, I wanted, really wanted to do is that I don't, we're going to talk about theater because we both work in theater and we both love theater. Mm-hmm. Or I assume you love theater because you do a lot of it if you don't love it. Then there's something wrong with me, right? <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Someone is forcing me to do this. <laughs> Which is devious and weird and possibly really cruel. Uh, 
but yeah, we're we're having the conversation because we work in the field. We don't have to talk about theater. If something interesting comes up, I hope we rabbit hole down that and have a really good time, and everybody learns something about the people who make theater, which is I think what what I really want to do is get everybody's story out. Cool. Well, I'm happy to be the first guest. Yes, this is, I'm, <laughs> I'm so excited. Uh, and you are so. Uh, one of the things I think is really interesting about theater in general, especially, um, it, we could talk nomenclature right away. Like, what format do you want to be called? Like, an emerging artist, or just because you're a playwright, or because you're young, which I know is has overtones of condescension to it. <laughs> what do you mean by that? Right. <laughs> right. Uh, how how would you characterize yourself as a, as an artist? Since I, I mean that's your, your what do you, what, do you, what do you consider yourself as your primary artistic choices? Right. Um, normally, when I describe myself, I just tell people that I'm a playwright. Mm, okay. Um, and I because I used to say emerging playwright. I used to say a bunch of different things, but um, it's hard to. I mean, it's hard to define what emerging means. Mm. And when have you like when have you officially emerged? <laughs> is hard to track i feel like maybe i'll be emerged when i'm like 50 (laughs) um um, but yeah i I call myself a playwright and i recently got business cards to make it official oh yes (laughs) i i am not yet that official in my own entrepreneurial activity but that is a level of officialdom that i really appreciate we can we can throw up a link to the picture oh I know. absolutely oh <laughs> i feel like man. on podcasts are like there will be a link in the show notes <laughs> there will be show notes <laughs> and uh you will have a chance to plug whatever you need to plug as often as you want to plug it even throughout okay no Hopefully. um <laughs> i mean i mean i expect you to be able to work it in organically your segue skills must be pretty good as a writer so yeah um well i i mean i'm not like very good at talking about myself we'll oh, see okay. we'll see if this like this might be a terrible idea, Aaron, to have me <laughs> talking about myself on this. Um, and I'm going to totally botch the quote, but Annie Baker, who's a playwright that I admire, um, once said, I am a playwright because I hate 90% of the, of the things that come out of my mouth. <laughs> and I feel like that pretty much describes me. Like, I'm not eloquent when it comes to, like, just everyday discussion. I ramble a lot. and um, But my characters speak very like quippily and like they have very neat um dialogue and i feel like like it's an extension of what i wish i could be Mm -hmm. in everyday Mm -hmm. life i mean they make some decisions that i am glad i'm not making (laughs) um but their dialogue is smart (laughs) (laughs) i noticed recently you talked about uh on twitter at daniel molman um about your golden no, I, I was about to say Golden Girls, and that is not right. Gilmore Girls. Gilmore Girls. Thank you. Another excellent television show. Which, speaking of quippy writing, right? I feel like that's. I mean, that was a show that I really admired growing up. Like it was the television show of probably like late high school into college for me, mm-hmm. and I I just watched that show. I loved it so much, and it had been years since I've. Um, seen an episode and so i recently um over labor day got some dvds from the library and i was like i'm gonna start watching this again and because i've been listening to like a lot of television podcasts and Mm -hmm. um listening to a lot of writers who've worked on that show um talking about you know how the the page length of those episodes was much longer than the average television show because everyone talks so fast so fast (laughs) and i just love that kind of writing so i'm I mean, I'm trying to, I'm going back and watching it for enjoyment, of course, because it's like a, a nostalgic thing for me, but also noticing this time around as a writer, because when I first started watching, I was not, I mean, I was a writer of, an amateur writer of short <laughs> stories and, you know, whatever I can get out of my brain, but I wasn't, I wasn't a playwright at the time, and, and I certainly didn't think in terms of, like, dialogue and and plot in the way that I do now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's also kind of an education because yeah. I'm I'm looking back at these super smart characters that it's just like it makes you want to live in that town. And so that's that's what I'm going through right now. As you can see here, I've got, ooh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I totally 
messed up the whole podcast. That's what the pop filter is for. Um, I have, I have yeah. season two. All right, up yeah. <laughs> from the library behind me. So, so yeah. I mean, that's the most recent what I'm watching. Um, because oh, there's so much good television oh, these it's, days. It's impossible to catch up with all of it. And and so I watch the old stuff, right. <laughs> um, but I've been watching a lot of Orange Is the New Black, which oh, yeah. has characters yep. and dialogue that I admire. Um, and before that, I was watching Mad Men, and before mm. that, I was watching House of Cards. Oh, and I, I yeah, just House of Cards, yeah. there's just so much smart television out there that I'm like, I know I should be writing while I'm watching all this <laughs> television, right? I should be working on my own plays, but it's just like it's it's so great to see good writing on TV because yeah. It wasn't always like that. So that's actually I, I was gonna follow that up with because uh, I this could be a mistaken attribution, but I've heard that it's a Buddhist proverb that reading is the enemy of writing, which I don't totally agree with. But when I am binge watching Pretty Little Liars, I understand that I am putting something off in, and watching this instead of doing my own thing. Right, and I mean. I have to disagree because I mean, I read so much. Mm. I read, um, I read almost a book a week, of very like various genres, and I feel like being being such a um, I don't know the word being such a bookworm. I guess <laughs> um, has really impacted the way that I write mm-hmm. because I feel like the fact that I read for pleasure, the fact that I am picking out television shows that I really admire the dialogue and the characters of for pleasure in a way like it is research it is like influence of other writers at the same time like should I have spent all my Labor Day weekend watching all of season one of Gilmore Girls probably not do I regret (laughs) it no it was like the best weekend ever (laughs) awesome yes uh, that's, that's a good point to point out that one of your one of your social media series that I really enjoy is your Tumblr and uh, the what Danielle Molman Tumblr.com. Thank you. <laughs> uh, what is it? What? How, how did you put it? Mistaking books for a boyfriend? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think before I was dating my current boyfriend, it said something a little different, and his <laughs> friends were like, "You know that your girlfriend has a blog that's called." Boy, books are my boyfriends or something like that so i changed it to often mistaking books for boyfriends and i recently added um to that tagline always writing plays mm-hmm. um because i started talking about my playwriting on the blog mm. which is something that i wasn't doing before i was only write, writing about books that i've read and um posting pictures and things related to those books or related to reading in general um and i'm trying to be i'm trying to write some more personal stuff mm-hmm. not like not like all of my secrets are out on the internet but like things that i care about as a writer as a as a person living in dc as a person who has a day job that is not their career um and just trying to trying to write a little more more about who i am as mm-hmm. a person rather than what i'm reading strictly um, so that's like a very recent change, probably something I started in the last uh, six months, but mm. I've had the blog for about five years now. Okay, yeah. I was just, that, that brings up a whole host of questions that I have because it's, it's interesting that what, because what, we mentioned it earlier, like what you read and what you write are obviously interconnected. You're surrounding yourself with influences and in people, friends, enemies, things, ideas to bounce yourself off of. So it, it's hard to... Because I struggle this with movies. Like, movies are totally my thing, and there's a bunch of great websites. And I feel like I should, I have a lot of opinions about movies, and I should write reviews. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, but, but I should write my other stuff. But when I write the review, what am I, like, it's, it feels almost like the atomization of myself as a creative person. Like, oh, I have to, this idea has to be presented on this media forum, and this idea has to be presented as a blog post, and this idea has to be on Twitter, and like, occasionally losing sight of the whole mm-hmm. so it's an interesting choice that you're finally sort of incorporating the multiple aspects of that of your creative life mm-hmm. in a way that lets people let see the parts nestle next to each other and get a sense of the whole which is awesome and um i think so i mean some of that spawned out of um i i have a com- i mean i have a community on tumblr of um fellow readers and fellow authors and 
I started connecting with people who are in theater. And I think that I just noticed that I wasn't writing about theater and I wasn't writing Mm -hmm. about who I am as a person because like, I mean, it's so easy to shut yourself off on the internet and it's also so easy to overshare. So I'm also trying to like walk that balance of like, if, you know, if this were to be read after, I mean, one thing I should say is that my name is my handle on Mm -hmm. Tumblr. So it has been brought up in job interviews. It Mm -hmm. has been like, it's something that like I've always strived to like, if I would be embarrassed for a prospective employer or my current employer to see this or my, you know, my grandma who doesn't have a computer, but when I first started the blog would be like on the phone with me and she'd say, hi, Danielle, how's your blog? Um, like it was a child or something, or if, <laughs> or if like my father were to, um, see it and he occasionally reads it, you know, like I don't want it to be something that I would be embarrassed to be sharing with people. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then there are some things that like, you feel like you have to talk about mm. because they're important. Like when the Hobby Lobby, um, mm. thing was passed in the Supreme court, I felt like I had to talk about it because like. I am a I am a young woman. I am a young woman who uses birth control. Like that's nothing to be ashamed of. Right, I'm yeah. one of several. Like <laughs> would be an understatement. <laughs> several, I was putting it mildly, yes. Um and and I mean like that's not something that I talk to my family about openly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But would I be ashamed to talk about it with them? No. It's just not something that's come up in conversation. <laughs> yeah. So it's it's really like it's been a and just like being super careful when I have things to say on my blog that are related to my misgivings about the theater mm. world, about, you know, play productions gone wrong or like rehearsals gone bad that I feel like I need to share and show, you know, share with others that like it's not always like everything with a bow on top. Like there are struggles even as a playwright in the room that you have to you have to combat. Like there was no one out there telling me when I first started writing plays that like you are going to have difficult directors every once in a while Mm. and they're not going to want to um, get your your changes in rehearsal they're not going to be receptive to that and just being like you have to stand up for yourself you have to be your own advocate and you know like when I post things about that just being very careful to not single out theater companies Mm. single out names of people like I'm not I'm not writing to you know, to shame anyone. Right, right. Um, and so that's been an interesting line to walk, just yeah. to be like, this is the situation. I'm upset, and here's how I would have gone about it differently, like, without, like, calling out individuals and being like, you're yeah. wrong, you're a terrible person, because, like, I don't think you're a terrible person. <laughs> I think you made a bad decision. Right, right. Um, sorry to be taught. Oof, I need to stop hitting the table. Someone needs to just, like, Tate my hands now. Um, so, I mean, I feel like I'm talking so vaguely, but like, that's well, just... I, that's one of the struggles. It, it's one of the things I wanted to tackle in the podcast itself. Uh, and it, because it's one of the struggles about the nature of theater, because theater is relentlessly local. Mm-hmm. And that constant, and it's a very small community. The other day, I was, I was, I was overhiring at, um, at Shakespeare Theater and one of the women who is who is on the call with us, it turns out that not only has she worked with, she's worked with two of my former bosses, and she graduated high school with my college roommate. Like, the whole community is so incredibly small. And the things that you say to people in the community come back to that, to the members of that community in an, with incredible velocity and from surprising directions. So I think you're... You, crafting how you express frustration is a really important task in social media but also expressing it is also crucial because i think you said putting a bow on it or and i think there's a there's a lot of sense that from patrons and from sort of consumers of theater that they only get to see the product and they only get to see what's on stage and every now and then they like uh smash they get to enjoy like the soap opera aspects of that although that that show is not as exaggerated as you would like it to be. The reality of playmaking is messy. Yes. 
It is, but I, I mean, I love it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and that's the thing is that it feels like when you have a bad day in theater, or you had a bad day like a couple weeks ago, and you're still holding on to the experience. And it's still affecting how you carry yourself as an artist. I feel like that kind of that kind of thing has to be has to be communicated mm. in. I mean, tactfully. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we all like go behind the people who like quote unquote wronged us <laughs> back and be like, you know, you know, vague tweeting all over the place and. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, like that's, that, I mean, that's, that's poisonous. I think. Right. Yeah. Because like, then people are going to be like, Ooh, who is she talking about? Like what, uh, what theater is she working with right now? What Mm -hmm. could it possibly be? And like, who do I need to not work with? And I've had that experience where, where I'll be like, I had an experience. It was not good. It was so bad that I will not work with this company again. Here's what happened. And then people will be like, who, who, who? Like very publicly. And I'll be uh, like, yeah. I can answer that over if you really are interested because you are a local artist like myself and like it impacts your career. And I'm trying to, you know, warn you about the possibility of this happening to you as well. Then like we could have a conversation privately about mm. that. Um, I'm, I'm more, I mean, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm trying so hard to not be like, someone that's like you know oversharing mm-hmm. in a whiny way that makes people <laughs> be like what is wrong with you you're always complaining because like sorry that was my turn because <laughs> um, you see that all over the place I'm mm. sure like I'm sure that you have um, friends on Facebook that, that are like you know this and such happened to me today and here's why it's so bad for me personally and it's just like I strive not to be that person, but I'm also a human being, and I have experiences that are not so pleasant all the time. And you know, I'm trying to find a way to communicate that. Mm. But I mean, it's it's a dangerous line, and I'm sure I've stepped over it before. In um, as far as like shared too many too many details in a vague telling of of a specific instance mm-hmm. that like really pinpoints it to who I'm talking about, and I'm sure that. I mean, to be honest, like I'm much, I'm much more honest in my in my writings on my blog than I am if someone were to confront me to my face and oh, be yeah. like, "I heard you said this thing about me." So like, there's a fear there for me sometimes that that it's gonna get back. Um, and now that I've plugged my blog, everyone will read it and be like, <laughs> "Who does she think she is?" <laughs> Well, I mean, it's mostly lovely book reviews, guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's totally worth it. Uh, that actually brings up to uh, because one of the th- one of the things that y- you have participated in recently was a Dramatists Guild event at the Kennedy Center, oh, yeah. which was designed to help playwrights by addressing some of these some of these concerns in a, in a like in a helpful workshop. I think it was a workshop, or it was a. <sighs> I guess you could call it a workshop. It it was a series of panels mm-hmm. um, that so it was curated by Gwydion Sullivan. I'm gonna say his yes. name wrong. It was Gwydion. It was created by Gwydion of the Welders. There we go. Yeah. Who's also um, who's who's a wonderful wonderful person. Super huge a player himself. A big advocate for playwrights, especially yeah. in DC. Yeah. And he's has a big part in the Dramatists Guild, and he curated this event at the Kennedy Center in May um, that um, it was a series of panels, and the, the entire day was called Playwrights Taking Control of Their Own Fates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was on a panel discussing um, playwrights. Playwrights started um, theater companies. I think is the, probably the best way to describe sure, yeah. it. There's probably a better way to describe it. Yeah. Like I was on a panel with the welders and with um, wait, wait, don't leave or wait, don't leave, whatever it's, it's wait, don't leave or wait, wait, don't leave. Sorry, Joanna. Um, <laughs> and a couple of other small theater companies that um, most of them, except for the welders, most of them have started um, as 
Capital Fringe productions mm, yeah. that have developed into theater companies. Right, like Pinky um, Swear. Like Pinky Swear. I don't know if Pinky Swear was on the panel. I don't think they were because mm. it wasn't started by a playwright. Um, oh, yeah, but, that's a good point. You're right. Um, but like companies like that that have um, that are at various stages of development, various ages of, of theater companyhood. Um, <laughs> And um, talking about, you know, why it's important to have playwright-centric theaters. Why, you know, why are they so so much more rare than than director-centric theaters or actor-centric theaters? Um, You know, just kind of talking about that. And the, um, the, over the course of the day, we learned about fundraising. We learned Mm -hmm. about grants. We learned about, um, you know, producing for Fringe. Um, and a bunch of other things. I think we talked about social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the audience was older um, and didn't, or the group rather, it wasn't an audience, it was a group of playwrights. <laughs> right. So a lot of the yeah. group was, was older playwrights. So they um, brought up, like, first of all, you know, social media wasn't part, isn't part of their, you know, right, right. Their, their understanding of like mm-hmm. how you are known as a playwright because it's a different generation mm-hmm. um and they also mentioned that there's there's like an an ageist quality to new plays oh that, yeah you know that a lot of these new plays are written by very very young playwrights mm-hmm. that are like very fresh-faced people that look great in photos <laughs> um which describes yourself perfectly I'm oh mad. well thank you <laughs> um and um and just talking about you know different something like the end of the day was was really just us breaking into groups about things we felt were missing in mm. uh, in dc theater and one of the groups was talking about you know playwriting and at in education and mm. one of them was talking about you know play, playwrights who are seniors writing new plays and um you know playwrights in residence and like visibility for playwrights things like um Susan Laurie Parks's Watch Me Work yeah, yeah. and the dramatist bookshop every once in a while will do oh, yeah. uh, the same type of thing where they put a playwright in the window mm-hmm. and you could see on a screen what they're writing in real time which I've always been really interested yeah. in oh it scares a lot of people I'm sure I would oh, be yeah. frozen sitting there for like the first five minutes just being like can I click over to Facebook now yeah. <laughs> um, I'm sure but, it's a form of discipline for them as well it's like uh, nope no distractions this time. <laughs> um, and so, like, the whole day, it was, like, six hours of just oh, us wow. talking okay. yeah. about different, you know, bringing up different experts on different topics. And mm-hmm. just, and all of us were playwrights just talking about our own experiences and what we, um, what our strengths were as far as, like, fundraising and and visibility and, and this, that, and the other and social yeah. media. Um it was a great day. There were no windows, though. So, oh, wow. so you, you that, were just like, what time is it? That is also the theater experience in a nutshell. You're in a room with fascinating people for a really long time with no windows, and you have no idea what time it is yeah. ever or what day it is, actually. But Yeah, sometimes. <laughs> that's, I, I find events like that really interesting and very important because one of the things, I mean, I'm t- trying, I'm, you know, they, they, Stephen King has that thing, you're, you write the first million words for free kind of thing. So, like, I'm actually, despite being kind of a lot older than you, <laughs> I'm way behind in my development as a writer, but this, the struggle in a, to struggle alone really sucks. And there's just really practical questions, like, but how do I, how, people, because you listen to, like, the Nerdist uh, Writers Podcast, and you think, and they're, they're just, like, little details that they allied about the practical steps that they took. Like, what did you, re- like, what did you, how many, how many festivals did you submit to? How many people did you know? Where, how did you get your script into somebody else's hands to be read? How many people did you have read it before you got to that stage? Because I have been embarrassed multiple times by, as like, oh, the script's done. It's in good shape. I read it over and over and over and over again. Of course, and then six months later, I read it again. Like, wow, people must think I'm a total idiot because this sucks. It's terrible. And it's like no copy editor has ever seen it. This is the wrong word. This is a typo. Great. Awesome. How do you fix that? Like, how do you get, how do you get hooked up with a writer's group? So, so like, 
details like that, which I find fascinating, and events like that bring up points that you wouldn't even consider, like do I get a grant to self-produce, and what does self-producing mean, and what are the details of that? Like, it's, yeah, I, I absolutely love that. I'll, and one of the things I think is really interesting and often missing from, from events like this, and one of the things I would like, one of my goals with this podcast ultimately is to find a way to bring people together. Because playwrights working by themselves might have a fantastic idea, but you need so many people to get a production on its feet that there has to be a way to hook up people who work in production, for example, like someone who is a lighting designer, because playwrights aren't necessarily good at finding lighting designers. Right. And lighting designers aren't necessarily very good at like hanging out in writers groups, figuring out who to help on their way up. I thought you were going to end that sentence much earlier. <laughs> lighting designers aren't very good at hanging out. I was going to say playwrights aren't either. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them are not. Uh, yeah, it's yes. Depends on the person in every instance. That's tr- that's an excellent point. Yeah. And and but as as like I have a, I strive to be creative in 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 things that I do and I want to have I judge my the quality of my day by whether or not I've done something creatively productive that day sometimes it's practicing an instrument sometimes it's getting some pages down on a screenplay sometimes it's just working on an outline sometimes it's recording a podcast check <laughs> this is a good day um but I and I have I don't necessarily have the time to be a writer because my day job is being a lighting designer and a lighting assistant and a programmer. Mm-hmm. But I would happily be the programmer, be the that that have that part of my productive part of my day be about lighting, just as much about getting the right pages done. If I've helped someone and produced a, a work that I felt had value, you know, as it, in and of itself, because the audience should see it, or, or because of a part of a process, because you know, like the first one, not so good. You make the first one, like like Greg Boy used, used to say about rehearsal process. You have the first rehearsal, so you can have the second rehearsal. The first day of rehearsal is just to get through it. So, you know, like sometimes just the value of th- having done it mm-hmm. is more valuable than the product. Like the first short films I ever made are totally embarrassing garbage. But I made them, and now I know how to edit, and now I understand beats and pacing, and I can write better because I had to edit my own movie together. I'm like, man, that was stupid. I'm going to fix that next time. Okay. <laughs> and what's interesting too, because filmmaking is so, it's, it's so possible to make a film on your own. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea and you write that idea and you write it well enough, you take your camera out, you make it and it's done and you have a product now to show somebody, but the playwright can Yeah, but you have to that. have actors. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, if you're dreaming on a larger canvas, you absolutely have to have actors to do it. It's true. Are, are your short films just nature documentaries? Well, <laughs> They they do have they they are opportunistic in that we so I I used to um I used to help out this uh, community youth theater in a little town in Pennsylvania called Stewartstown uh, Stewartstown Summer Theater uh, their season's over so it's not no point in plugging them <laughs> come if, next summer yeah, exactly summer twenty fifteen <laughs> um and one summer my friends and I were all like well so we. We all hated at the end of it because it's a community youth theater. It's sponsored by a church. So at the end of the summer... Oh, I was part of those. <laughs> it's my favorite part of Tina Fey's Bossy Pants book is her descriptions of, of her summer theater experience with this people. I'm like, oh, it's true for everyone. It's true <laughs> everywhere. It's amazing. I want to bond with more people like that. Like, we've all done it. Oh, that's where I got my start was in a summer youth theater for church. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. It's great. Uh, but so the, it's a community bonding experience. We had a party at the end of it and to make sure nobody got left out, we would have this slideshow and some awards. And around 2006, we all got the feeling like, eh, a slideshow idea. People don't make slide film anymore and this isn't working out for us. And we'd all, we'd actually like challenge each other to write a script that summer. Like everybody, we're going to write up, we have everyone, this is the object. We're going to write about this key just one of those writing exercises I really miss actually having them all around because it was great to just have someone to read it was great to have a writer's group Mm -hmm. and only two scripts got written of that group and only one film got made but because we all wanted to make films we made a documentary a documentary 
called This Is Fiddler. This is actually 2003, now that I think about it. So we just totally modeled it after Spinal Tap because most of my friends were comedy writers. And uh, so, yeah, that was basically more like found footage. Like, I had actors, but all I had to do was point it at a bunch of teenagers and, like, mm-hmm. edit it carefully, and then it was funny. <laughs> so I didn't actually have to do that much work. Uh, but, I mean, still, good point, actors. I mean, filmmaking on a, is very similar. It's just that you can do it. You can also do it piece by piece in a way that you can't with theater because theater has to come together for two hours or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that unit has to exist in a space and time whereas that filmmaking you can do in bits and pieces and then bring it all together later but I don't know where I was going with that I apologize for rambling a little bit it's about okay that, but <laughs> you didn't do anything wrong this is your podcast <laughs> I'd like to think we're co-owners at least of this episode <laughs> share some of the blame a little bit no uh actually uh I was I was gonna where to go is this part gonna get edited out no no this is part of the growing pains like this is where aaron looks down at his rundown is like did i talk about that i did oh crap oh crap no um so we'll talk about i would i would i'm fascinated by the fact that you work in human resources oh we're gonna talk about that now (laughs) i I mean we don't have to but since i ran out of steam and (laughs) just derailed our previous conversation if the conversation is i don't want to talk about that let's talk about this instead that's totally okay as well (laughs) i'm curious how you got that job like because it me too (laughs) man i always because i i mean i daydream sometimes and like okay, I'll apply to the federal government for jobs and like feed my theater thing by having a good solid day job and I apply for those jobs and people don't know how to understand my resume or I'm not very good at writing one. I have probably, that's probably true, I'm not very good at writing one. But I don't get those jobs at all. And then I see people who do and I'm like, ah, oh, that's so cool. Or it can be cool sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I really do, I mean... My he- I mean, my hesitation is mm. I don't want to violate any. <laughs> oh, right. Okay. Um, yeah. But, um, I mean, I, it's, I will say that I do work in human resources, and I do enjoy the people that I work with. Mm. I, li- I like being in a, um, I work in human resources for a creative place. Right. Um, and, and so the, I'm surrounded by creative people, and I really, mm-hmm. um, I really love that and my job is such that I do pay I mean I do payroll for the most part I do other things but I do mostly payroll Mm -hmm. so it uses like the math side of my brain and so I'm there I'm there 9 to 5 30 Monday through Friday and when I go home I am not creatively exhausted Mm, because mm -hmm. you know I'm using a different part of my brain I'm using I'm doing completely different things than I would be doing as a playwright or as, you know, just as a theater practitioner in general, Mm -hmm. because I mean, I work with spreadsheets all day. Um, I work with, you know, I work with numbers and, um, and I really, I honestly don't know how I got the job because I didn't have any, I mean, they haven't taken it away from me yet. (laughs) I've been there just over two years. Um, and, you know, I I didn't have any human resources experiences yeah. before I got this job. Yeah. Um, but, you know, they must have liked something about, I don't know what it was, my resume or my, or my recommendations mm-hmm. or I don't know. But, you know, I got the job and, and, um, <laughs> and it's great because I don't think about work when I'm not at work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And when I'm at work, I could focus and I can get, get the job done. And I, you know, I'm very efficient and I like to think that I'm good at my job. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I enjoy the people I'm around, like I said. Um, but when I get home or when I get off work and I go see a play or when I, you know, when I go home and I know that I have to work on writing dust or writing, mm-hmm. you know, writing, doing rewrites for a play that I'm in rehearsals for or mm-hmm. go to rehearsal it's like a new energy, you know? Like, I don't always come home and do that. 
I will admit that there are days when I, I mean, we talked about this earlier. There are days when I come home and I just watch TV, like, or I just surf around the internet or I write a short post on my blog and that's like what I've created for the day. Um, but I don't come home and I had a job before where I was working, I was working for a theater and I was Mm. doing something, several, several (laughs) jobs. It was an internship. I was doing mm. several tasks that were, you know, other duties as assigned Ooh, yeah. um, that were all very creative and that I was very interested in and that I'm glad I did. Like some of them were casting related. Some mm. of them were, um, I mean, my main gig was company management. Okay, um, yeah. So I was hanging out with a lot of actors. I mean, I, I was driving around all the time, picking up <laughs> yeah. from train stations and, you know, like cleaning but there were days where i was like cleaning apartments on my hands and knees like getting things Mm, ready for yeah um and it was like i was working easily 60 hours every week sometimes longer and i would go home and i would be exhausted because i was you know the hours were super long slash i was doing things that were more creative than what i'm doing now for my day job and it was a great learning experience. I would never want to do it again. <laughs> um, but I'm, I don't regret that I did do it because I made a lot of connections there and mm. I was able to, you know, meet the playwright that is now a playwriting mentor to me. And I was able mm-hmm. to, to meet a director who I've started talking to and has recently become, you know, a direct, someone who I can talk to about directing and has recently for, transitioned into playwriting as well. So we mm. have conversations about that. And I met a ton of actors, um, both, you know, non-equity and equity, a lot of whom I'm still in contact with. Mm. And so the way I approached that job was I would go in and I would say, hi, I'm Danielle. I am your company manager slash whatever (laughs) my duty was that day. But I'm also a playwright. And I would always introduce myself that way. Mm. And I figured... I'm going to keep introducing myself that way until someone says, why are you saying that to me? Um, That's the and that approach op- I take with this company, too. Like, the, I, the company I found at DCP Creative, I always tell people that I'm a producer of podcasts and plays and other content. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, ha- it hasn't come true yet, but if I keep saying, telling people that, it will start to stick in somebody's brain. Yeah, and the thing is that, like, I was just out of grad school at the time. I had, I had like, a play that I was willing to show to people and you know but the thing was like I was sure that that's what I wanted to do Mm, and that mm -hmm. I was a playwright and that you know this was just a temporary gig for me yeah that I wanted to make sure that people the creative people I was interacting with who were you know being paid not by me um (laughs) knew who I was yeah Yeah. um and I you know like I'm sure a lot of them were like who is this crazy girl like what is she doing telling us that she's a playwright like why do I care she didn't write the play I'm in (laughs) um but some people took it to heart and like actually talked to me about my work and like you know would go get coffee with me or go get Mm -hmm. a drink with me Mm -hmm. after work and be like what are you working on send me your stuff and I feel like that opened that opened some doors early on right yeah. Of just people that took me seriously. And that was, you know, that was something that was hard to learn. Yeah. yeah. How to take, you know, like, there were there were days where I'd be like, you know, there's a lot, I mean, there's a lot of self-doubt that comes with being a playwright <laughs> who's not consistently produced. Yeah. Um, and so there's a, there's a lot of like, who, me? When people like actually take notice of you. Um. And it's something that I'm I'm just now starting to like gain confidence in, is taking myself seriously mm-hmm. and saying that you know, just because I am an artist doesn't mean that I am any less than this other person who has a quote unquote more important job. Right. You know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. and just because I am an artist doing the same work as another playwright who's getting all these productions Mm -hmm. doesn't make me a lesser playwright. Right, right. And that's something that, like, I can say that now on this podcast, (laughs) but, like, tomorrow might not feel that way. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Because, like, it's it's a lot of just, like, constantly, like, keeping, trying to keep yourself, like, like, hyped up, like, just being like, this is today and this is who I am. (laughs) Yeah, convinced. Keep yourself convinced. Yes. Well, that's, it's, 
two things about that that completely fascinate me. Uh, one is uh, at the tender age of 26, when I got my first theater job, mm-hmm. uh, I did not study theater, and I had never had a theater job either. Uh, so I also don't know how I got that first job. Well, no, I don't really know how I got that first job. I got lucky. Um, but I made the mistake of thinking of myself as as not, you know, you dress for the for what you want, for the job that you want. And mm-hmm. I didn't dress for the job that I wanted. I was just grateful to be in the door, in the theater industry. Mm-hmm. And I didn't put forth an image of myself as something more than what I was doing until much later in my life. Um, so, and I, I learned hard and bitter the truth of how that works. So it's great. I mean, I, th- I think it's great that you, that you came to that immediately. Once the conviction held, you're like, you know, this is, this is, it's not a persona, it's not an act, it is the reality, and I'm going to let people know. And I mean, I should I should probably maybe correct myself and say that like it wasn't an immediate thing mm, that mm-hmm. I started saying like the it wasn't like the first first day of work <laughs> they shoved me in this in this like six passenger van and they said drive this to Union Station, go pick up ac- actors X, Y, and Z and this director. And I didn't, like, get in the car and be like, I'm a playwright, too. <laughs> Take me seriously. But, like, the first playwright that I picked up from Dulles, that's a long drive oh, to D.C. Yeah. from Dulles. And I, like, had I had a, uh, a reading that was going to be going up, um, like, the next weekend. Oh. And I, like, had a postcard in my bag. And I was like, if I, if I work up the, you know, the courage, I will pull this postcard out at like a stoplight or when we're stuck in traffic and be like hey if you're looking for something to do on your day off I also write plays and you know (laughs) I did I did it it took like probably 40 minutes of that drive to work up the nerve like and you know half of it (laughs) that drive half of it was like it was my first time going to Dulles we didn't have a GPS so like I printed out these and I don't have a smartphone. And so I printed out these directions from Google Maps. And I was like, um, I think that we went on the wrong road or something. And I like shoved the directions in the playwright's hands. And he was from, you know, he had just flown over from London. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, here, try to navigate where we are. And, uh, and then like at the end of that, once we like were back on our road to, to um, DC, I was like, well, the worst has already happened. We got lost uh, on the way back from the airport. So um, the worst you could say is no to this. Right. <laughs> yeah, and I invited him to my reading. And um, I can't remember if he came or not. I don't know if he was able to come, but he definitely asked for the play and read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and at his opening, he was like, he, he like came over drunk and was like, that's a good play that you wrote. I like that play. Oh, this is my friend Duncan McMillan. That um, He is amazing and was just nominated for a huge award in the UK. Um, he wrote the adaptation of 1984 that was recently up in oh. London. Um, and so Duncan came up to me and he was like, that was a good play. Like he had had like several beers. Um, and I was like, okay, thanks. And then he emailed me the next day and he was like, I read the play again sober and uh, (laughs) (laughs) i really liked it (laughs) and i was like we're gonna be friends that's happening (laughs) but like i mean i was you know i was a couple months into the job at that point Mm -hmm. and like i i think i realized at that point that like you know I wasn't I wasn't doing this internship because I wanted to be a lifelong company manager like I was doing this internship because it was an internship that was offered to me to Mm. get out of Boston like I had a lease that was ending in Boston after grad school and like I only moved to places for big you know things like school or jobs Mm -hmm. um so you know I think I, I think I realized a couple months in, I was like, this isn't what I do want to do, but when I write, that's where the passion is. Mm, and I need mm-hmm. to start telling people that because otherwise no one will know mm, except for it, yeah. me and my parents. <laughs> um, so that's how, I mean, that's how that went. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, I, speaking of plays that you've written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As, you know, as I cover for your drink of water. Um, 
Would you like a drink of water? I would not. Thank you, though. That is, that is a callback, folks. Uh, I hope, I don't know if we recorded that part, but it was a callback. I, that needs to go down on her score sheet so everybody can give her full credit for that. Um, We're playing podcast bingo here. <laughs> I've developed a podcast laugh since my last appearance on a podcast. I think it's very important. I laughed a lot when I was uh, podcasting. It's a very serious laugh. It's like a, I think that's funny, but... I'm not going to get too carried away. <laughs> That's the, that, I mean, you've, uh, you've hit the button on the head. I well-crafted that laugh. I'm very proud of that. But speaking of things that you should be proud of, you, you're, so I've seen the picture on Tumblr, so I feel like it might be okay to talk about your, about dust and it's. Oh, sure. About it, uh, current, you're, cause you're doing rewrites for it. Over I am. The, yeah. I'm doing major rewrites on dust. So dust is a. Peter Pan adaptation that I've been working on for oh going on like three years mm-hmm. now which is the longest playwriting process I've ever been part of usually I can finish a play in about a year and a half to two years mm-hmm. um and Dust I have written several versions of and um everyone who reads it seems to have a positive reaction to it. I don't want to go so far as to say <laughs> everyone loves dust because like the thing is that it's always been not quite there mm, for me. Like yeah. every time I write it, I like get excited about like, you know, taking a new direction with it, but it's never been like quite right. Mm-hmm. So I think that before this current rewrite that I'm in, the last time I touched it was last October, so almost a year ago. Mm, okay. Um, I had um, I had done a, a, a rewrite on it because I was submitting it to the O'Neill, um, okay, and yeah. I wanted to have you know something, and it, I knew it was not quite there, but it had taken a big risk from the last mm. time that mm-hmm. I had rewritten Dust, um, and I can't, I mean I can't get these characters out of my heads, which is why I keep working on it. Um, yeah. Anyway, I decided that I was going to spend a lot of this summer rewriting it from, like, from scratch. Oh, okay. So, like, taking the characters and taking the the general story of Peter Pan and not ever opening the document on my computer that showed the the last time I worked on it, which has been, like, I was terrified to do it. My collaborator, um, Jacob Jansen, who's been um, talking with me as a, I mean, he's a director, but he's also had on like a dramaturgical cap as we discuss mm, the play. Mm-hmm. And he and I have been talking about this play for like two years or so. Um, and for a while after last October, he was like, I think that the next time you do a rewrite on this, because uh, he knew how I felt about the play, that I felt like it was not quite there. Mm-hmm. Um and he said, the next time you do a rewrite on this, you should start writing all, like, off, like, offline, basically, like, mm-hmm. uh, out of the file. Mm-hmm. Like, start writing by hand or, or however, open a new document, whatever. Um, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so hard to like. Oh, oh no. Yeah. Do you see how many pages there are here <laughs> that I have? Yeah. Um, and so I kind of like put it like put it aside and was working on other plays, mm-hmm. and then one day I was just like free writing in my in my notebook, and I was like, "Dust is a play about," and then I wrote like, "Dust is a play about this angry young man who kills four girls, and then goes to kill himself." And those girls are the lost like the lost girls because it's a you know kind of a reverse gender adaptation, mm-hmm. um, and. That was the first time that I had a clear idea mm. of what this play was about. Because before it was like, the girls were dead, but like, why was he there? And it was like this whole thing, like, who is he in the Peter Pan story? Mm, yeah, right. Um, and so now that I'm rewriting it, I am starting from like a very clear idea of like writing a play from someone with, with an unwell mind who is like experiencing experiencing their like fantasies experiencing flashbacks experiencing um their current state of mind all mixed in so (laughs) 
I keep describing this play to people who are like, what's going on with dust? I'm like, there's a lot of dance and like, there's a lot of like really angry poetry. And then like, there are some like scenes that make sense and our actual <laughs> dialogue. And then there's like all this like crazy music and people are like, okay. <laughs> I'm like, don't worry. It's going to be, it's going to be like exactly what I need this play to be, mm-hmm. but it's going to have like, like a Sarah Kane quality to okay. it. Yeah, yeah. That's not like any of my other writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really excited about that. It has a, it's already had a very long gestation process. Um, I kind of stopped writing for a month or so because I was in rehearsal for Giant Box of Porn mm, of and course, I was, right. um, I had to like take off the dust hat for a little bit to like be present as a producer. Um, but, I've, I'm back at it and I have, you know, like half a journal full of just free writing and outlines and like yeah. monologues and things like that, that I'm just like, one day this is going to be an actual play <laughs> and it's going to be great. But right now it's just a bunch of pages written out by hand. Um, and I had given myself a deadline of, um, <laughs> of this summer okay. to, to finish it, but um i mean it needs more time yeah, the work will so yeah. um but like what has come out of that is that i have been so much more disciplined about my writing mm-hmm. because i was like you know writing it in my calendar like you have to work on dust today or mm-hmm. you have to work on dust four days this week whatever those days are and just like sitting down and thinking about the play for you know however long the i'm able to and you know just writing yeah. and so I don't know when it will be done or when I, or how much of what I'm writing by hand will actually end up in the actual play. Um, but it has been a completely different experience. And I knew, I knew that I was ready to start writing again when I like was messing around on Spotify and I started creating a dust writing playlist. Oh. And I was like, this is how this play feels. Mm-hmm. And I can finally like you know get into that and for a while it was like you know who are the peter pan characters in this play what are the important parts of peter pan like what is the story and it was just like i was getting i was forcing myself into different molds that didn't fit this play Mm -hmm. and i mean i needed those two years of of messing with the characters in order to get to this point where i feel like i have a clear idea Mm -hmm. Um, and I needed, like, this place had, had so many workshops, Hi. so many, like, readings and, and, um, of different versions of it and a movement workshop, which was super helpful oh, because I got yeah. to see how, like, some of the elements of dance worked into mm-hmm. it. Um, but it's like right now what I'm writing is a complete, like a completely new play. So it's kind yeah. of like. I don't know. It's like dust 5.0 at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, that's fascinating. I and, and that's exactly what I was hoping to have in a conversation with a playwright to get a sense of this sort of, not tortured, but like that, that it's a well-wrought piece of work that when a playwright is putting something together, like there's serious thought into it. And this is how you make the character soulful and produce something it's very inorganic you have the you have the germ of an idea you work out that idea but you have no idea where it's going or what it's doing and it's hard to write a good anything if you don't know where it's going but you have to go through that step where you're just like trying this out and this out and this out until the clarity of the idea finally lets you get down to the hard work of forging the work itself so it's Mm -hmm. it's like double the amount of work than you really think when you start oh this is a great idea it'll write itself yeah i mean um jacob was like you have to get pregnant with this play i'm like (laughs) i'm like i have had like three babies worth of this play like this play is well pregnant (laughs) that's and And i feel like no one would tell that to a male player no that is you must get pregnant with this play there's there's some i'd love to get into the gendered nature of that comment but um what what struck me about what you just said too is um because i get caught up in this trap all the time of returning to the document having a fresh idea and, a, and and an impulse 
to create something new and, and really want to run with it. And then I get bogged down and like, oh, but this was actually not bad. And then all of a sudden the gravitational pull of the existing thing has pulled you away from what made you so excited to write in the first place. And your creative energy is spent and it feels like a waste. And then so starting completely fresh with a clear idea. I mean, I'll let you know how I feel once I actually start typing. Sure. Right now, I feel yeah. like really great about it, yeah. though, because yeah. it's like they're all the trappings of my like first two, three years of drafts are are not bogging me down. Right. I'm not like saying that I have to I have to use this metaphor about clocks or I have to use this, you know, this line from this character cuz like the characters have changed since the last time I opened that document. Right, right. So I'm it's great to like to not have to to look at what they were saying before and try to fit it into this yeah, new world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um whether or not I have that experience when I'm actually typing things out in script format and and being like, oh, I wish I had those 80 pages. <laughs> you know, like I'm only one page in. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I we have, we have occupied the better part of an hour. Okay. So uh, I don't want to take up too much more of your valuable time watching Gilmore Girls. <laughs> uh, is there anything that you yeah, want to Yeah, get out of my house. I have <laughs> one more episode of the first season left. <laughs> oh, I understand that. Uh no, is there anything that you'd like to plug? I like we've, we've talked a bit about your Tumblr, but is there anything else? Sure. I mean, can I talk about some plays that are oh, actually totally. being produced Absolutely. this yeah. season? Oh my gosh, yes, please. Um, I I feel like I just I feel kind of braggy talking about it because like <laughs> I've had I've had like almost two years of, of of nothing really to brag about. I mean, small small commission short plays and things like that. Um, and lots of readings, but this time I have like productions of oh, like full length plays. <laughs> um, so the first thing that, and this is actually coming up, I don't know when you're planning on posting this, but this is um, open September 27th on my birthday. Oh. So if you want to get me a birthday present, come see my play. Um, I'm, I'm working with Pinky Swear um, and they're producing this series of plays called the Tiny House Plays. It's a bunch of short plays. Oh that are site specific um, in these like 200 square foot houses that people have built for themselves. Um, and so each each play is gonna be rotated through five times. Oh. And um, as the audience moves from house to house or space to space. So um, there's five plays that are gonna be happening simultaneously. Oh, awesome. Until the audience has seen each play. Oh, that's so cool. Um, and so I wrote a play for that, and that runs September 27th through October 12th, okay. I think. And tickets went on sale today. Um, there we go. Um, today being September 4th. <laughs> September 4th. Um, it will not air <laughs> today. <laughs> get on that. Sorry. No. Um, so that's that's the first thing that I have coming up this season. Okay. In um, For all of our New York State uh, listeners. Ooh, I um, hope there are many. Uh, in January, I'm going up to Cambridge, New York, which is between Bennington, Vermont, and Albany, <sighs> New York, um, to do a production of uh, my play Nexus um, that's getting its first full production with um, two actors that I can't announce yet, but who are okay. super awesome and who I really love working with. And it's being directed by David Snyder, who is the former... Um, head of artistic programming at arena stage recently moved up to um oh this is at hubbard hall in cambridge new york uh recently moved upstate new york um to run hubbard hall and he will be directing it oh that's um, exciting and i'll be in residence there for a couple weeks so awesome. i'm really excited about that um i'm already packing my coat um <laughs> it's like 90 degrees today and i'm just every day thinking about like oh what coat should i bring to new york <laughs> um and then I'm also in the midst of devising a play with Dog and Pony New, uh, duh, Dog and Pony DC, uh, um, called Squares, and it's oh. about um, it's about playground ga playground games, um, gentrification, um, and hipsters, Ooh. and um, probably a multitude of other things. We're still devising it, awesome. um, but that's supposed to be in production um sometime next summer okay um, yeah. so 
keep an eye out for that. Oh, well, I, uh, hope, we'll, I hope we'll have a chance to chat again. Oh, yeah. Much closer to that. This, I'm, I'm, I'm not just like banking off. on like yeah, you right. never asking me back. Yeah. So I'm just like, got to put it all in, in this one podcast. Well, that's a it's a wise bet. Uh, hedge against the future risk there. So, who knows what the future of podcast. Maybe next time I'll do like uh, warm up exercises so I'm not stumbling over my words. Uh, my friends uh, who are actors, um, they run a podcast about movies called Ad High on Film. It's fantastic and hilarious. And he thinks that every time he opens his mouth, I should have done my vocal exercises. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, Danielle, it's been fantastic. Uh, thank you so much for inviting me here and for being my first guest and for being so great at being a guest. And, and thank you for having me. Oh, uh, I probably should also plug my website. Oh, yeah. I'm daniellemolman.com. So if you ever, you know, need to get a hold of me, all of my other social media is linked through that. All right. I will post a link to that in the great. show notes. In the show notes. We're so fancy. There's the uh, podcasting bingo. I hope somebody <laughs> made it with that one. Filled out your squares. Uh, yeah. It's been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll come up with a tagline at some point or something. <laughs> Ooh, my there's like the shape of my ears <laughs> in these um in <laughs> in these headphones. Look at. <laughs> Sorry, oh, yeah. next person. It's a sign of quality. <laughs>